Hong Kong was where it began. Wesley, a soldier of fortune, was on his way to meet with those who would change his destiny, with people like himself who accept death as a way of life. Neither my country nor any of the other governments involved will ever recognize your operation officially. We get paid. That's explanation enough. You want to go into the triangle and burn a little opium. It's two days' work against two years in jail. People in the triangle aren't very nice. They were not afraid to fight, even though the odds meant that some of them would surely die. But the purpose of their mission changed when they became the target. Material requisitioned. Operation is go. Over and out. Ten million dollars. A whole year's harvest check. You find them and make it slow. I want them to suffer. When you said they were five hours late, I just had to see you. Six. Just call the base cap. No news. We're only screaming to scare him. Starring Lewis Collins, Lee Van Cleef, Ernest Borgnine, and Klaus Kinski. He's the greatest son of a bitch of them all. And he's surrounded by a crowd of rapists, thieves, and killers. the men with the code name Wild Geese. Welcome back to the Bloody Pit. Returning is my buddy from across the Atlantic Ocean, Adrian Smith. How are you doing today, Doctor? Guten Tag, mein Herr. <laughs> oh, I think I know where, which direction we're going to go with this film. <laughs> we are returning to the movies, to the films of Antonio Margheriti today, a subject that both Mr. Smith and I have a lot of time for. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that there's a there's a certain joy to uh, delving into his cinema simply because he is almost the perfect Italian filmmaker to deal with when you're looking at the the ways in which exploitation cinema produced in Italy changed over the decades. Because let's be honest, Italian exploitation cinema was always following the trends. Whatever was the biggest hit, making the most money. Italy and their various producers, well, also, you know, just any European producer of film, was attempting to copycat those kind of things. And today's film, Codename Wild Geese, is definitely no exception. Mm. Uh, Although, you know, they could make it a bit more obvious which film they're trying to... uh... (laughs) By throwing the title of the, of the, of of a, of a film yeah, that they're what, what, that what, they're taking inspiration. I don't, I don't know. From. I don't know where they where they get their ideas from. I just can't figure it mm. out. I think they're conjured out of whole cloth mm. and or made up after something they found under a cabbage patch. I'm not positive. <laughs> 
But nevertheless, no matter where they're digging for these ideas and how inspirational something else might be, one of the reasons that uh, the producer of this particular film might have turned to the mighty Margariti would be that he had just produced in the previous few years a trio of uh, action films that, uh, well, basically kind of serve as a perfect indication of someone who can do exactly this kind of movie. This is this is a uh, this is a mercenary movie, but uh, it's of a certain particular type. Uh, and as I say, he made uh, Antonio Margariti had made uh, three movies, not really back to back, but uh, three movies uh, starting in 1980 uh, all the way up to 1983 depending on you know where you lived and what the release the release dates were in in your locality he had made the last hunter which was essentially kind of a combination of uh, the deer hunter and first blood to a degree and then he made uh, well you know after that after that he made a couple of other movies but then he made a movie called last blood Oh, it was Last Blood the next one? Now I can't even remember it. Oh, who knows? I mean, it was probably called so many different things as well, which doesn't help. <laughs> who knows? Um, oh, yeah, okay. So uh, the second one was called Tiger Joe, oh, yes. or, you know, something else, depending on uh, on where you uh, may have caught it, which country you resided in, which came out in roughly 82, but God knows when it probably filtered out to all the other places in the world. And then uh, there was also... The uh, the film The Last Blood, mm. and remember these are not the only films he's making in this period of time. He's making Hunters of the Golden Cobra and You're the Hunter from the Future and Car Crash and just all kinds of crazy ass things all at the same time. Yeah. So there's uh, Tiger Joe and then Tornado, also known as The Last Blood, which is a, a Vietnam War film, uh, and so clearly the the exploitation winds had shifted in the direction of. Uh, men in wartime situations doing wartime things and blowing things up. And wasn't this wasn't this film the same year as your? Wasn't it nineteen eighty? Was your nineteen eighty four as well? Well, was that um, you mean the, you mean Cold Name Wild Geese? Yeah. that's just it. I'm not sure of the timeline on when things were in production. I just know that clearly Margariti was never without work. Well, we're definitely going to, I mean, we'll pick up on this later, but um, our friend, uh, Mr. Pagotzi, Senor Pagotzi, pops, mm-hmm. pops up in this movie and he's got the pag beard from yore. Yeah. So I get the impression they were filmed fairly close together just based on how he looks in this in both films. And of course, Luciano Pagozzi, who, who or P- Pagazzi, how, how did you pronounce his name? I would name? say Pagozzi. But I'm not. But I'm not I, I want to get so. his cool, cool. I want to get his name right, so yeah. because I have so much respect for him as yeah. an actor. He's just one of those great Italian character actors who was in, you know, roughly a hundred films, and is oh. always, you know, he was, he was in most <laughs> hundred films, a hundred films for each year of his career. I think <laughs> that guy was unstoppable. <laughs> I was going to say, such a joy to see him pop up in other non-Margariti films. I'm so. I always associate yeah. him with Margariti that sometimes I'll be watching another movie and then all of a sudden, oh, hey, <laughs> he did other films too. Like I was watching a Euro spy film and there was a, I think he was only in one scene and he had an eye patch, but he was there. I was like, ah, oh, yes, he made other films as well. I just sort of forget because it's just inextricably connected to Margariti. 
Well, he was in he was in so many things. I mean, the the what weirds me out is that I haven't seen it, but he was a, he was a, he was in an episode of The Return of the Saint in the seventies. Oh, yeah, which no, means I that you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it, it, that. That makes me want to see, you know, seek that out and try and try to just see that. He's in things like Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks. If you just want to talk about stuff that he was in, that where he was uh, not working mm-hmm. with Antonio Margheriti. For Mario Bava, he was in Baron Blood. Uh, he was in the Michael Caine film Pulp. Uh, oh, he was in All yeah. the Colors of the Dark. My goodness, then so, so so many films. That it is completely insane. Oh, he worked for Baba again in Hatchet for the Honeymoon. I forgot yeah. about that. And the weird thing is that he's uncredited on this film. He's got. Oh, I know. He's got like two or three proper scenes. He's an important character, but he does not get a credit, which I thought was quite strange. But then. Well, and what's what's weirder is that some of the movies he was making in the eighties, from what I have read, and I don't know how much of this is true. I know I know for sure that at least one of these movies. This is true, but he filmed scenes, you know, just maybe brief little, a couple of scenes here and there for some of these movies in the late 80s, and then his scenes got deleted for whatever reason. Uh, right. So, like, Zombie 3, apparently he was he shot stuff for that. Hmm. Strike Commando 2, the same thing. So, oh, Strike Commando 2, I mean, that, that would have been the <laughs> icing on the cake of his career, wouldn't it? If he'd have, <laughs> that would have finally made the critics sit up and take notice. Well, I think it odd that, um, for whatever reason, uh, it wasn't his. It, it should have been just to just to round everything off for, for this particular character actor, Luciano Bagazzi. Uh, to round everything off, his last film or his last screen work probably should have been Alien from the Deep, which uh, he which he was in for once again Antonio Margheriti. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't because he was also in a TV miniseries the same year. Uh, I think he had an Italian television series where he played a uh, a doctor, oh. and uh, like I say, I, I can buy I can buy him playing a doctor. That's not it's not a it's not a stretch. He seems to be able to do you know mm. pretty much anything from caveman with a bow to uh, chief of police here, <laughs> there, and yon. It didn't re- it didn't really matter. Uh, he is the most acrobatic caveman. Uh. <laughs> In your yes, all he's time. incredible. Oh, that whole thing is brilliant. But anyway, we're getting way off track. Uh, well, yeah, we haven't we haven't even gotten into the into the pe- the names people will actually know in this movie. Mm. Okay, so this movie came together because uh, the producer of the film actually did have a hand in uh, production on the film The Wild Geese, which was a massive a massive hit. In um, when did that thing come out? The early eighties. Yeah. yeah, the early eighties. Well, yeah, it might have even been earlier than that. I think it was about 78, 79, something like that. Oh, was it? Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that means this is a later addition to the, This is a later attempt mm. than I thought to cash in so on the, the popularity yeah, of that particular it, film. It was the producer, Erwin Dietrich, who made... He mm-hmm. did, like, Jess Franco films and stuff, so you must have come across him. Oh, before. a number of times, yeah. yes. But the, uh, the uh, basic idea here was to, you know, string together... Uh, you know, a, a production crew and a, a, a multinational cast of characters to go and make this movie, and you know, as usual, you know, kind of have the broad outline of the script and kind of make it up as we go along, which is kind of evident, and we'll yeah. talk a little bit about that, about the uh, 
the herky jerky way in which the plot is <laughs> communicated to us. Yeah, I can but, just um, I can just imagine. It's almost like the uh, the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible school, where it's like, yes. okay, which I think we've talked about before on the other podcast, where it's like, okay, so I just want um, I want a shootout, I want some helicopter stuff, I want a car chase in a tunnel, just make all that work. Can we work a flamethrower into it? <laughs> Uh, oh the car yeah. the car chase i can't wait till we talk about the car chase. oh god yes anyway uh, yeah I, it, okay anyway let's let's talk let's talk about the cast yes okay, so uh great cast. assembled is a assembled is an incredible multinational cast here that it's actually uh, mind-bending to think that all these people were crammed into the same film you know yeah. out in in the sweaty middle of the philippines for god's sake but yeah they were yeah, where, meeting the cast. Where did they? Oh, go, go. I was just gonna say they, they were in uh, Hong Kong as well, weren't they? That was Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was funny. So we're gonna, yeah, the cast. We can talk about Klaus Kinski, and uh, I've just been watching um, a film from. It's a Harry Allen Towers production called Five Golden Dragons, which mm-hmm. is a kind of it's a it's if it's a sort of Euro spy in in feel and tone, but it's from the sixties, mid sixties. But it's got Klaus Kinski in it, running around Hong Kong, and be, and I was watching yeah. it thinking, am I just getting deja vu or what? And then I realised that just, you know, a couple of days earlier, I'd seen this movie where Klaus Kinski <laughs> was running around Hong Kong again, except they're about twenty years apart, but effectively it's just almost identical scenes of him in Hong Kong. I'm like, oh, that's. It took me a while to figure out why is this ringing so many bells, and it's because I've just seen him do it in this. Well, it's because, you know, I, I don't know. I think that he, he landed in Hong Kong and stayed just as long as people were willing to pay him yeah. to be in front of a camera, and that's about as far as it gets. Uh, I mean, I know Klaus Kinski was, by all accounts, a terrible human being, but that doesn't change the fact that he really was quite magnetic on camera. Yes. Even insanely dubbed as a Brit in this film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. let's let's be blunt. We all know what if you if you, if you've seen you know a couple of Klaus Kinski films, you know what Klaus Kinski sounds like, and he does not sound like an upper crust British fop, and mm-hmm. that's how he's dubbed in this film. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's even weirder is that it does appear that the other actors in the film, Klaus Kinski, could speak English for God's sake. Mm-hmm. I mean, this. I mean, yeah, he had a heavy, he had a heavy accent. There's, I'm not going to pretend that he didn't. But it's weird when you know, okay, Lee Van Cleef, that's his voice. So he dubbed his own voice, right? Uh, yes, and that's Ernest, like him. And Borgnine. Yeah, and that's Ernest Borgnine's voice, too. Yeah. That sounds exactly like him. And as far as I can tell, Mimsy Farmer, that appears to be, from what yeah. I remember, her um, voice as well. Yeah, Lewis Collins sounds like him. Yeah, exactly. So here's the thing. We get to a point where I, uh, I, I do wonder why the decision was like, okay, so we want... I, I guess maybe at ground level in the script, it's like, okay, we get the chance to cast Klaus Kinski, so we do it. But he yeah. still has to be a Brit. And I, I'm going to, yeah, I, I would also perhaps assume that they still did a lot of the dialogue post-sync. And oh, so, God, they did all, the, all of it. Yeah, so yeah. maybe just Kinski was not available or oh, or whatever. That's a possibility. But, but I think, that makes yeah, sense, but yeah. also wasn't he supposed to be a representative of the British government, maybe his character. I can't remember. 
I, I really, why can't you remember? Because the plot of this film makes no sense. <laughs> it is such a twisty, curvy... I mean, they have... Don't get me wrong. I, I love that in the third act, they do have a couple of, of interesting twists. Mm. I, that, that's cool. Yeah. If you've seen if you've seen more than a, a handful of these movies, you'll know that in the end there's going to be something that kind of twists one to one side or the other. But still, it's it's a pretty good one. Let's not let's not knock the film for the things that are not worth knocking. So it's 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 got that. But it's uh, well, let's let's get to this. Let's talk about the cast for for, for a moment first. Uh, we've mentioned some of the names. Lewis Collins is essentially the lead character. He plays a guy named Wesley. He is a professional British mercenary. Where do you know him from first? Oh, the professionals. The British television series? I've never seen I've oh, really? never seen So the, Yeah, I've never seen it. Okay, so the professionals is a pretty big deal over here. It was a big show in the seventies. Apparently it lasted for like five or six years. Yeah, I just recently got the Blu ray uh, box set of it and it's huge. I think there's about is, sixty is it, episodes is it, or something. Does it hold up? Um well I mean I've only watched a few, but yeah, it's fun. It's it came out not long after the Sweeney, so it was when British oh. cop shows of the 70s were being quite sort of gritty and tough. And The Professionals okay. kind of builds on the Sweeney, but adds in a little bit of humour. There's quite a good sort of double act going between the two main guys, and they get into all kinds of scrapes. And it's not quite as gritty as the Sweeney, but it is. All right. It's very entertaining. So, yeah, so for him... For for Brits, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak for all of us. Um, for us, <laughs> Go right ahead. for us, he is Bodie from the Professionals. No matter what else he was in, he will always okay. be Bodie. I mean, when you look at his list of credits, he actually wasn't in that much stuff, and he only did maybe two or three films. Um, but yeah, we'll a lot always, of television. Yeah, but yeah. quite a bit of TV. Um, but he was very much associated with being a tough guy, like in this movie and the other yeah. the other two films in this kind of unofficial trilogy that they that, that it's part of. Um, and I think that's because of the professionals, but also he did a film called Who Dares Wins about the SAS, and yeah. um, so that really kind of sealed it. But but yeah, so he will always be Bodie as far as we're concerned over here. I gotta say, he's. I, I know that he was briefly considered to uh, be the the follow-up James Bond after Roger Moore was, you know, finally mm. put on social security, <laughs> but the, uh, the, uh, but, uh, that did, that didn't work out in the, and they went with, uh, with Timothy Dalton and, uh, gotta say, looking at him, you can see why yeah. in this film, you look at him and you go, yeah, this is a guy who could at least visually very much have been a James Bond in the eighties. He's, yeah. he's got that lean, hungry look. He, he's got the right attitude and the more I learned about him as a as a person, it's just like holy crap, he really could have. I mean, one of his hobbies was you know was firearms and shooting. <laughs> he was a black belt in jujitsu, trained in karate, yeah. had a private pilot's license. His hobbies included parachuting and and motorcycles. Maybe, and you just get yeah. to the point. It's crazy town where you're going. Okay, well, yeah, I can see why you want to look at this guy, and in a in a way, in kind of an alternate in an alternate timeline, he would have made probably and made definitely really James Bond. Definitely in the earlier scenes when he's he's walking around Hong Kong in his white tuxedo jacket and all that, and he does they're they're, they're clearly building on that sort of Bond um, yeah. connection. But I mean, and also the the car chase 
which is the most uh, like out of place moment in this film and possibly any film but that's straight out of a bond <laughs> that that car chase sequence is much more out of a bond film than it is that it has a, uh, it, yeah, it, it, that it, that belongs in a bond film and not this film i would argue <laughs> so they, i think they were going for right. they were going for a bit of a bond feel here in places but, at least in part yeah but i think lewis collins would have probably if you look about if you look at the general casting of all the james bonds none of them were tough guy action heroes before bond it was bond that turned them into that you know i mean sean connery yeah. sean connery was not an action guy uh, roger moore certainly not um lazenby had never done anything before um timothy dalton was mainly like a tv actor Pierce Brosnan. Well, he was he was more he was more known as kind of a Shakespearean yeah. actor. I mean, and Bro- yeah. Brosnan was you know was in like American soaps and, uh, and and even you know Daniel Craig was mainly kind of small art house films and stuff. So, so to cast a guy who's a big action hero already it would have been it would have been good for the role, but doesn't seem to be the way they go with these with Bond for some reason, but. But I can definitely see it. You know, he, he looks like he wants to be Bond. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the time. It, it, it looks like he's. It look, if I didn't know any better, I would have considered this film kind of, kind of him him thinking it was a a, a, a screen test for, yeah. for playing Bond in a way. Oh my goodness! Anyway, uh, also in this film, Lee Van Cleef, the legend, the man, Lee Van Cleef, the pens- uh, the pensioner Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> by this point, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like when but still I a, still able to be interesting on screen oh, in yeah. ways that are fairly believable, I have to admit. But when he's like, yes, he's the best helicopter pilot in the business. He's the man that we should take on on this like do or die dangerous mission. And then like uh-huh. this this little wizened old man <laughs> turns up <laughs> and like really? it's like thank God his job is to <laughs> sit down in something, you know? Yeah, no. <laughs> And later on, they're like, you know, going into battle. I'm like, with that guy, just be careful of his hips. <laughs> Do his knees still work? Yeah. Holy crap. But but of course, this was uh, this was very much the period of time where um, Lee Van Cleef was was uh, essentially kind of riding the, the 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 wave of enthusiasm for his excellent performance in uh, Escape from New York, mm. uh, and uh, he. That was, you know, that that's the that may actually have been one of the first places I saw him as a younger person. No, probably the good, the bad, and the ugly is yeah. the good, the bad, and the ugly, or, or uh, yeah, for a few dollars more, one of those, and then Escape from New York. But the thing is, when you know, when you're younger, seeing those movies back to back, he he looks vaguely enough alike. You know, he doesn't yeah. look like he's that much older in those movies, mm. and so to my young mind, uh, <laughs> Lee Van Cleef. He was he, he he was a cinematic god. He was timeless, and so <laughs> it was a it was a sad thing in 1984 when I tried to watch the television series The Master, and they tried to make us believe that somehow he was a ninja. It just it didn't work. <laughs> wow, I've never seen. Oh, that. you never you never heard of this? No, I don't know that one. Oh wow, let me uh, let me He's... point you toward uh, <laughs> a couple of episodes of Mystery Science Theater where they take a couple of episodes oh, okay. and weld them together. I mean, and, uh, yeah, that's your best way. He looks like in this film, he just looks like a guy who 
he's probably only he's probably only in his sixties, but he spent a lot of time under a sun lamp. He's, yeah, he's well, that's quite kind of shriven. <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> well, he, he he lived a hard life. I mean, by the time he made the Commander, which was the th- the final film in the trilogy, in that film mm-hmm. he does basically spend the whole movie sitting down. It's <laughs> which isn't isn't much of a shock. He's getting to the kind of Boris Karloff just doing his films lying in bed. <laughs> part of his career by that point I think <laughs> well I'm, I was a little surprised uh, when I because I had not watched Codename Wild Geese I'd, I'd had the DVD sitting on the shelf for a long time mm. waiting to eventually d- dip into it and so when I finally watched this movie I was a little surprised to see Lee Van Cleef being a good deal more uh, rambunctious in mm. this he's moving around he's carrying guns he's shooting things yeah and, <laughs> I did not expect that. He's uh, he's a full participant in the action on it screen, is. and I was a little uh, impressed. I mean, it's funny because I suppose, which I suppose, is the point, isn't it? Because in the Wild Geese, the kind of conceit is that it's a bunch of old guys going in to do a mission, and mm-hmm. even though they were again, they're all probably only in their late fifties, early sixties, but look older. And so then, for this film, if you look at the actual poster for Code Name Wild Geese got lewis collins as the younger virile man and then he's surrounded by these geriatrics on the poster they've even give, uh, given ernest borgnine a massive machine gun which is funny because he doesn't which, he doesn't have a gun yeah. in the movie but he does not factor into the no, action at all but they're obviously just tying in with wild geese about these this kind of uh, pensioners uh, going into battle thing which is funny but but yeah lee van gleef certainly um he gets stuck in there's no yeah no criticism there. I was impressed by the amount that he participated in mm. in the action in the film. I was kind of kind of I wanted to, I wanted to I wanted to just step into the screen and shake his hand and go, "Man, good job! <laughs> What's going on here?" But well done. Now sit down. <laughs> yeah, take a rest. Really, have a cigarette or I mean, whatever. I don't know. How old actually was he? We were just joking about him. He was probably only about forty. Um, oh no! <laughs> no, he was not just about forty. <laughs> actually, he, you know, do you know what though? He was only in his late fifties. He wasn't even sixty. Um, yeah, yeah, he was wow. not quite sixty. He was born in twenty-five. But yeah. he'd spent a lot of time under the Spanish sun, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the thing is, I mean, sadly, he did die in eighty-nine. Yeah. Um, so he he made it to he made it to sixty-four. Yeah. But you know, those were those are some hard years. Yeah. <laughs> Let's 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 be clear. The this is this is something that's becoming a reoccurring theme with me and looking at a lot of these uh, a lot of these movies from this period. Well, from the let's call it from the fifties uh, through the the nineties, which is the, those older actors before they kicked off. There were a lot of actors who just seemed once they hit the age of twenty five, they all just looked forty mm-hmm. forty five. And you know, I attribute a lot of that to just the way people lived at the times, which mm-hmm. was you know we all swirled around and existed in a a, a giant cloud of cigarette smoke yeah. and perhaps just latent booze floating in the air as and, well. And I guess a lot of them had also lived through a war, which yes. which is going to age you, isn't it? I mean, if you look at there are loads of if you look at sixties movies, so many of the men are bald, and then you find out they're all only about thirty five. But you know, <laughs> but they just look so much older because of the uh, you know, because of I guess the you know, like you said the trauma and the fags probably uh, uh-huh. cigarettes I should say sorry I'm slipping into British colloquialisms there I was about to say that's, that's the <laughs> British terminology and you're you're losing it man so 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 tell me something um, 
Lee Van Cleef. Mm. He really is a legend. Yeah. Um, uh, what what are, what are your favorite Lee Van Cleef roles or, or the films that he was in? Which, oh, which one would you think perhaps your favorite? Like tomorrow, if I was going to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to have to watch a Lee Van Cleef film, it would probably be The Big Gun Down. Oh, good. Choice. I love that film. I mean, he's great in everything, and I can't say I've seen them all because he's obviously done loads. Oh, God, no. And what I really want to do at some point is sit down and watch the Sabata trilogy because I don't think I've ever actually seen those. Um, well, there's really only. I know he's, not, it's not a trilogy. Oh, be aware. It? Oh, well, there's there's, there's a, three movies that they called Sabata, but the the one that's supposedly the second one isn't Sabata film. It doesn't star Lee Van Cleef. Oh, it stars right. Jules Brenner, and they what it, it's a different film that they renamed. Oh, I see. <laughs> before it came out, they called a Sabata film. So there's really only two Sabata films oh, okay. with Lee Van Cleef. But yeah, but he's just I, I you know the Big Gun Down is is just really good, really good. And I love everything about it's that. A great but, film. but also, obviously, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All the I'm I'm, I'm picking all the obvious ones here. But um, oh, yeah. and then, as you mentioned earlier, something like Escape from New York uh, to 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 go a bit more sci-fi. But um, but yeah, I, I, I my first choice, I think, would always be The Big Gun Down, closely followed by Day of Anger. I really like that one as well. Where good film. He, yeah, good film. Where he sort of runs this uh, saloon and it's all gambling themed and really, yeah, that's a good one as well. But, um, but well, yeah. what's weird is I was gonna <laughs> the the one that I was gonna default to came out the same year as the two movies you just oh. <laughs> just named, 1967. I absolutely love Death Rides a Horse. Oh, and I've never seen that one. You, uh, you, you, you got to see Death Rides a Horse, man. Yeah. It is, um, it's he he plays the the elder gunfighter, uh, trying to kind of uh, be a, a father figure to a younger gunfighter played by John Philip Law. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, highly recommended. I think that it, it's one of those movies that I think. Uh, in the past, I think it's finally getting to the point where enough people have been able to see it because of different releases. Um, but I think that uh, Death Rides a Horse, uh, often it turns up in, in like really crappy versions online oh. where it looks like it was shot through mud. But the uh, if you can find a good-looking print of it, Death Rides a Horse, is, I, so, I, it's, it's superior. I think so it's that's cool. one that's still waiting for a decent Blu-ray release then? You know, i got to be honest with you, I think there may have been one. Oh, um, okay. Let me see. I think it did. Oh, yes, okay. it did. Yes, oh. yes, it has gotten a Blu-ray release. Thank right. goodness. Apparently in a couple of countries, so that's good news. Okay. I'll track it down. But yeah, he's, so, he's great. He's just got one of those... He's, it's obviously, you know, people, a lot of people talk about his eyes, and he's just got that look mm-hmm. and that squint that he does that was probably just because the sun was in his face the whole time, but... <laughs> It gives him that sort of intensity that, uh, yeah, very watchable. He's a, he, he's amazing. He is, uh, to my mind, he is one of those old school cinema legends uh, who had, you know, a, the reason he went to Italy was because he was only getting, you know, small little bit roles in Hollywood and had been for a long, yeah. long time at that point. Wasn't I mean, it? Wasn't it the case that he'd he'd basically quit acting? And I think when they came to him to ask him to to go over to Italy to be in a Western, he was like just painting his house and he'd effectively decided he wasn't going to do it anymore. And 
Yeah, that was the legend that I had yeah, heard for because years. The, but then well, wasn't yeah. it because he'd been in Rawhide or one of those shows that they wanted him? And of course, then it um, totally yeah, well, he, yeah, he'd been uh, he'd been uh, like a, a a supporting care a supporting actor in a couple in, in, in a couple of Hollywood westerns. Yeah. Some of them pretty big. Um, surprise! Some of them surprised. Yeah, he was in. Big. Wasn't he in How the West Was Won? Well, yeah, and I think uh, if memory serves, I think he was also in. Um, I in High Noon. Oh right, yeah. As a bad guy in High Noon. Oh no, you're right. He was in High Noon. That was his first ever movie. That won't stop no shrapnel, buddy. Depends on who's wearing. <laughs> Are you guys waiting for the uh, general's welcoming committee? Well, if it's not them, it'll be the Khmer or the thieves. In this hellhole, everyone is at war with everyone else. It's the opium. I thought the general headed the whole operation. Yeah, he's the greatest son of a bitch of them all. And he's surrounded by a crowd of rapists, thieves and killers. Hmm. Yeah, well, that means a lot coming from a man like you. <laughs> I'm on the right side now. <laughs> oh, yeah? That's your whole army? It'll do. And my helicopter? We're picking it up now. Okay. Captain... Well, I'm used to being addressed as Colonel. Lots of times. Pretty cool. And he was in The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, so... Uh, yeah, he's the guy cool. who is given the task <laughs> of actually shooting the uh, the uh, the very special bullet into The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. So, oh, uh, yes. Yes, yes yeah. indeed, my friend. <laughs> Very cool, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So he kind of, I, I, I've always, uh, everything I've read is that he, you know, he was on the verge of just saying, okay, look, I've, I've, be, you know, I've bounced around Hollywood for forever, and it's just not getting, it's not, it's not doing what I want it to do. I'm never going to reach any kind of level above what I'm doing right now. And you know, I just did a guest shot on the Andy Griffith Show for God's sake. So come on, it's time to, it's time to pack this thing in and call it a day. I'm, I'm always going to be just a a day player or a bit player and so then my god yeah. you go to italy and you become a star he played the banjo playing deputy yeah. in an episode of the andy griffith show i think i've seen every episode of andy griffith that i i don't remember that holy crap <laughs> wow no <laughs> you see no no wonder after he got home that day he's like yep i'm out <laughs> that's the end of my career that's as low as i'm gonna go <laughs> okay, uh, Ernest Borgnine also has a, a nice juicy role in this as the character yeah. Fletcher, the DEA agent. Uh, Ernest Borgnine, what 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 can you say about a career like his? My goodness, I mean, Oscar winner, stalwart character actor. No, just um, you know, let's not forget SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> oh God, that's right. Mermaid Man, he's brilliant. That's so funny. Yeah, oh, what well, I think is funny is that, of course, I do wonder if he and uh, Lee Van Cleef ran across each other while they were filming their bits for Escape from New York, too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's great, and of course, he went on to do something else with Margarita just a couple of years after this. He is in um, at least the first couple of episodes of Treasure Island in Outer Space, right? Um, where he plays Billy Bones. I think he's mainly the first episode. Because I think his character gets killed off, if I remember rightly. But um, but yeah, he turns up in that wearing a very cool pair of shades, so that we know it's in the future. 
<laughs> yeah, okay, Ernest Borgnine, your indicator of futurosity. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Treasure I, Island and Outer Space is really good, actually, but um, and no one ever really talks about it. For I've got to, if, fairly I've obvious got to reasons, finish watching it one day. I've only ever watched, I think, like the first or two, yeah. first two chunks of it. But yeah, so Borgnine was in that. But I mean, obviously, even by, because it's amazing, he only, he only passed away 10 years ago. And he I was know. working right up to the end, basically. Um, I mean, he was still recording SpongeBob episodes the year he died. Um, Which is nuts. Yeah, he was so just workaholic, I guess. But So just the fact that even by the time he was in this movie, mm-hmm. he was already... He'd already done over, like, you know, 150 films or something. I guess the thing that I think of him the most is the Poseidon adventure. Yeah, um, yeah, because I, I've seen that so many times, and I loved that film when I was young. So I think that's the film that that sticks with me when I think of think of Borgnine. I just remember in the late '90s being really surprised uh, that he turned up in Gattaca, which I think is a fantastic film, and uh, it's oh, one of those. Yeah, yeah, he has this wonderful little little yeah, role in it that's love very that heartwarming. Yeah, uh, he's he's really good at it, and then of course he's also one of the voices in. He's also one of the voices of the of the little uh, the little uh, animated action figures in Small Soldiers for Joe mm. Dante. That's such a good film. Oh, I know, I love it, and it's just it's one of those things where it's just like, oh, okay, so he was in things that got major attention all the way into the two thousands. I mean, yeah. holy crap, you know, and. You're right. I, he may have either been a workaholic or just felt felt. You know, it, it, it's that thing where you remember uh, Boris Karloff working up till damn near the day he died because that's just yeah. what he did. He loved it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what made him feel good. That's what made him feel alive. He enjoyed the, his job. It was not something. It was something that kept him mentally engaged. And I do wonder if Borgnine was the same way. But yeah, I mean, if you if you want to just talk about the amazing number of uh, I mean the thing that was keeping him in the in the public consciousness in the mid 80s when he made this film was the the TV series Airwolf which oh yeah I yeah I I, I have I have suffered through a few episodes of that and I just yeah. can't deal with it I don't think it's 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 pretty much exactly you know mid 80s pretty pretty cheesy it's tame it's de- yeah. it's it's what I would refer to as dependable boring crap it's just it's, ni- it's just night rider in a helicopter exactly and it's like i never liked that either it's like (laughs) there are all these series from that period of time that some people just consider to be iconic and i'm just you know like Uh, the a-team it's like well i i mean i guess i was probably because i'm 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 i think i'm a little bit younger than you so i was probably younger than me i was about the right age plus Mm -hmm. growing up in wolverhampton where life was pretty gray saturday's was the most exciting day of the week because of what was on tv Oh. And, and it was American shows like Knight Rider, A-Team, and Airwolf. I would just lap all that stuff up. And even the kind of weird shows that only got one or two seasons, like Manimal. Or yeah. um, what was that show? That show about the guy that was made of electricity. Oh my goodness, um, I don't know. And... <laughs> oh, holy crap. Uh, and he oh, was... I want to know. Yeah, it, was, it starred Desi Arnaz Jr., and it's about a man who's made of electricity, and um, you know. But then they just go around solving 
crimes like all of these shows. It's, it's, but, in know, other words, it's the same stinking plot. Oh yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> but you know, to a, to a British ten-year-old in the eighties, this stuff was just you know so exciting and glamorous and different and amazing to British boring television that was just you know EastEnders and dull, depressing stuff. So I can I can appreciate now in the cold light of day they're pretty crap. But <laughs> but to to be hit at the right age, um, those shows were were what made my weekends. Well, I got to tell you, there there is one TV series he was a part of uh, that was made in the seventies that I have got every intention of of actually watching one day. They only made seven episodes of it, which means it was a massive failure. It was called Future Cop. Oh, yeah, and it has been released on DVD, so it's not impossible to see it. Uh, okay. but I just haven't done it yet. Yeah, no, I'm not familiar with that one. Well, I got to say though, my favorite, as much as I think Borgnine's a great actor, I really get a severe kick out of watching him in the roles where he actually played a villain, because mm. um, he was really good at it. In uh, the otherwise, you know, I mean, I'm never going to pretend that Sam Peckinpah's Convoy is actually a a, a, a great <laughs> film, but he plays a character in there named Dirty Lyle, who Borgnine is just he's the he's a vicious cop bastard and he's just he's just a scumbag in it and also in a a really impressive movie called emperor of the north from 1973 he plays a uh, a railroad enforcer kind of a railroad uh, cop Uh, if you've never seen emperor of the north he is just a nasty bastard in that film Right. And uh, he's he's one of those guys who was really good at playing bad guys, but only only occasionally did he do it. You know, most of the time he's playing a sympathetic. Like he actually just really love his character in the Wild Bunch. He's a sweet. He's he's a he's a he's a good guy yeah. along with the rest of that that group and, of folks. Yeah, and in, I mean to bring us back to uh, Codename Wild Geese, he doesn't have a big part, but when he's on screen, he's quite fun, and he's. I think he's pretty much a nice guy, and, and I think um, I think another reason to put him in this film is that you know he was in the Dirty Dozen. He he played a general in the Dirty Dozen. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, yeah, and so it's it's one of those things where you're just he's and he's got the voice for it, and and luckily it is his voice, so we don't get that in, yeah. we don't get that situation where we're we're going, oh, that's strange. Yeah. <laughs> why are we? He's why been are we dubbed with a Morgan's ge- face sound with like a German this? accent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, one more actor before we uh, before we uh, oh, yes. talk about the plot or what we what we can locate as the plot uh, would be Mimsy Farmer. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, yeah. Mimsy now, Farmer. What kind of a name is Mimsy? Well, it was not That's her real name. Oh, okay. Her real name was Merle, uh, but they called her they called her Mimsy because she uh, it was just a nickname, and it did oh, come okay. from uh, it did come from Jabberwocky, uh, the Lewis Carroll story. Uh, of, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so her real name was Merle, and uh, such a talented, beautiful actress. Someone who got you know accolades as an actress when she first started doing this, and uh, deserved them, in my opinion. And I think you know mm. y- y- you can talk about the movies that she was in, where she's she's kind of a standout. And for for us, of course, we all we know her from Four Flies on Grey Velvet for Dario Argento, of course. Yeah. Possibly even and, uh, Autopsy or the Perfume. Yeah, movie. I was going to wow. say I, I just watched I just watched Autopsy fairly recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What a horrifying film that was! Oh yes. my goodness, it was very good. 
but there's stuff in there that I wish I hadn't seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta say, I, I am a, I am a, one of the, one of a, a growing number of fans of the Fulci film from '81, The Black Cat, and she has a nice role in that. Uh, um, right, yeah. So uh, she worked with a number of. Uh, she worked with a number of people who you know were just legends in in uh, genre cinema stuff that yeah. you know, people like well, us she absolutely did. love. She did a Ruggiero Deodato film. Mm-hmm. Body Count? Uh, oh, I was thinking of Concord Affair. but um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Body Count is... Uh, is that him uh, as well? It's, it's, it's a movie that I, I, I am a big fan of, and I do hope that eventually it gets a, a decent release with... Uh, yeah, some, it's from 86 and it's essentially it is you know it's not hiding what it is with that title <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a slasher film <laughs> but I do enjoy the hell out of it it is a it is a um, it's a slasher and you know it's a wood it's a woods woods set slasher and man when you look mm. at the cast of Body Count you'll see exactly why it's the kind of movie that I wish would get more attention these days but it just yeah. hasn't yet um, anyway. it'll come every all of this old stuff gets a 4k restoration eventually <laughs> you know you say It'll that but i don't yeah. know but listen i do want to single out one of i think possibly her her greatest on-screen performance which is in the the incredible film from 1970 the road to selena um absolutely incredible film uh oh. just just very beautiful you know you and i recently talked about um uh, the the film uh, The Sex of Angels, which is going to get a release uh, over yeah. there in England on Blu-ray sometime in the next year or so. And uh, honestly, uh, uh, The Road to Selena is a good touchstone for that type of film as well, and it is fantastic. Okay. Mimsy Farmer, Robert Walk, uh, Walker, uh, Ed Bagley. Uh, it's just so good. And um, Rita Hayworth puts in a very good uh, late career performance in it as well. If you've not seen Road to Selena, allow me to uh, point anyone and everyone toward that film, and you should you should check it out. It is uh, it's eye opening and it's fantastic. Wow, no, I don't know that film, but I'm gonna have to check it out. Highly, highly recommended. She is I mean, everybody's good in it, but she and Miss Hayworth really stand out. They're very, very good. Of course, Robert Walker. Uh, always a very interesting actor, you know. He he had he had a small appearance in Easy Rider and a bunch of he was in a lot of stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it's those two women who I think really have they 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 take they take the prize in the in, mm-hmm. in that particular movie and it's right. it's it's well worth your time. Yeah, I mean she was doing like Roger Corman stuff as well before she went to Italy, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that much about her. I've probably only seen two or three of her movies, so I need to. Uh, delve a bit more into her um, career I think you I think you'll uh, you'll find it uh, well once you get to once you get to 1970 I mean wild racers and hot rods to hell I mean they are what they are but once she becomes someone whose name is more recognized mm. starting around you know road to Selena and four flies on gray velvet I think you'll be I think you'll be impressed yeah I mean she's quite um, I mean she still looks young I thought in this movie even though she's yeah. supposed to look really haggard, yeah, she uh, still uh, looks really good. <laughs> well, you, you, do you know what she started doing later in her career? Oh, um, she stopped being an actress. Pilates? Oh no, I don't know. no, she stopped being an actress and she was a sculptor. And a lot of her works, 
Oh, a lot right. of her, the, she specifically sculpted stuff for a lot of movies, including like stuff for Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, really? Yeah, stuff for uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf. Um, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a wonderful website where you can see uh, like she did stuff for the the remake of Clash of the Titans. These you know these these big you know these big like. Uh, Things where you have to have a physical part of something that they're going to fill in with CGI later on, you know, where they they just need like the base of it, but it has to oh, be yeah. something physical that the actors can actually touch and lean against. She did uh, no this uh, this wolf head this wolf head ceramic thing for Pirates of the Caribbean four, and I mean she's she's still yeah. doing this kind of stuff. Apparently. That's cool. Yeah, and so that I mean because that was just what she wanted to do. That that's. Where where her career took her, she decided she, yeah. she was tired of trying to be in, you know, trying to beat that whole actress thing to death. So yeah. like some of the stuff you'll see in like um, Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, a lot of that stuff she sculpted. Wow! All that wonder, yeah, all of that crazy Wonderland stuff you see inside there, all kinds of things that are like kind of uh, fake bot, you know, bas relief stuff mm. uh, that go, would go on walls and things like that. She. Um, yeah, what what a different kind of career yeah, for a, her. That's a twist. But yeah, apparently she'd been doing that for a very long time, and it's why it was wild. I recognized the thing from Brotherhood of the Wolf, and was like, oh my god, Mimsy Farmer sculpted that. Holy <laughs> shit! Because <laughs> I was looking at her website and watching. You know, there are these photos of her doing this stuff, and I'm just utterly stunned wow. that I did not know that this what she, this is what she's been that's doing very for cool. for decades at this point. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Mimsy Farmer, a talented lady in more than one way. Wow. Well, is there, are there any other uh, uh, actors? I don't know no, a whole lot about so. the German actor Manfred no, Lehmann. No. At all, although uh, I... I, I recognized I, him. I think I've seen him maybe in other... I think he may have been in The Commander as well, which, as I said, is the one I've seen from this trilogy, so maybe I recognize yeah. him from that. Yeah. But, I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff, like yeah. a lot of stuff. But I can't say that I'm very familiar with his work at all. And, and just no. looking across the, the the long list of his titles, I realize that it's kind of surprising that I haven't just like stumbled headlong into something that he made, you know, at some point or another. Yeah. So I, I think I'm going to leave it up to you to tell me the plot of this film. So go oh, ahead. thanks. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not going to leave you hanging. <laughs> I would well, I, I mean, that. what I was going to do, I've got the um, the the DVD booklet, and I thought. Okay that could be helpful but then as i was just going through it again Mm -hmm. (laughs) he basically doesn't even attempt to to describe the plot no because it's it's kind of pointless um we can give it a shot here the the, the, the wiki page is not too bad yeah Um, i mean it's 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 basically a group of guys being called to go on a deadly mission mm -hmm. which is the obviously the setup of lots of these kinds of films um, I thought it was interesting, the opening scene, we see Lewis Collins and his men are attacking some kind of base, yeah. and then there's an explosion, there's like bombs and grenades, and some guy's leg gets ripped open. Um, but then it turns out this is just a training exercise, and it's their own base. <laughs> and they're all mad with him because he's making them train with real weapons and live rounds and somebody's got hurt and somebody might get killed so we we get right from the beginning that basically all his men hate him because he's too hard on them he's pushing them too hard which i thought was quite so we're like right away we've got this dynamic of do his are his men going to follow him or are they just going to try and kill him 
Well, yeah, that's true. And, of course, the man who gets injured is their helicopter pilot. Yes. So they have to uh, find a new helicopter pilot that's to go on this mission they're about to do. Yeah, so they, they contact all the local uh, old people's homes and <laughs> tell them to find one that's got a helicopter pilot. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh. Sorry. sorry. Um, no, no, no good, good Lee, Lee Van Cleef, because so Wesley knows something about Van Cleef, whose nickname is China. And um, I think he was he's in jail for smuggling because he's the best smuggler in Hong Kong or in and out of Hong Kong, I should say. And so that's why he wants him, because he can get a helicopter in and out of anywhere, apparently. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, the actual helicopter flying that's required in this film until the very last scene, anyone could have done it, really. <laughs> oh, yeah, but only it's like, It's not that please. special. But then right at the end, oh, fair enough. Well, I was, I was about to say, only Lee Van Cleef could have perfectly positioned the flamethrower yeah. <laughs> while flying around that uh, miniature set. That so, final yeah. scene is so funny. I've, but, I, I'll um, be honest, I swing... Well, let's let's get to this. Essentially, uh, the movie is you know takes place in Hong Kong and in various other places where we're getting this thing set up. The DEA yeah, are Fletcher. they supposed to be... where They get sent on a mission. Is it into Bangkok? Is that where they're supposedly going? I wasn't I, yeah, quite I, sure I, where. Or does it? Do they just not tell us? I don't think they fully tell us. Although yeah. I kept feeling like it was supposed but, to be Thailand. It's supposed to be Thailand. Oh, it's a Thailand. Yeah, it's not. They're definitely not in Hong Kong anymore, and they're not in China. Oh no, no, no. We're, so we're yeah, it's Thailand or yeah. something like that. Yeah, okay. But the uh, the DEA man Fletcher, played by Ernest Borgnine, is is heading up an operation to cut off supply of opium to the west. And oh, to, yes. to fund this operation, he's found himself allied with uh, wealthy American businessman Walter Brenner, who is played by um, uh, a, a German actor who uh, I had seen in a couple of things. But nevertheless, that will only factor in when we get to the, uh, the many ways in which people are going to be double-crossed later in the story. Yeah. So the uh, Brenner and his partner, who's an ex-mercenary named Charlton... Um, and of course, Charlton is you know an important an important character here because uh, that is Klaus Kinski. That is our foppish yeah. Brit. And is he worked. the one who knows Wesley, or he's brought? He's the one who's brought Wesley. Yes. In. Yeah. He's he, the contact he, he, there, isn't he? he? Yeah. So uh, we, uh, Wesley, the uh, he he's a father who's still grieving over his dead heroin addict son, and uh, is intent oh, yeah. on this. Which yeah, <laughs> which is not necessarily that clear. A lot of the time, I but know. occasionally it's, it's, it gets mentioned. It's, it's it's kind of buried in the mix of yeah. all the crap that's going on. Because we could have done with a little bit at the beginning, like I agree, an opening pre-credit sequence where Wesley is putting flowers on a grave or something like that. Just yeah, because we, it's, we, Lewis it's just kind of maybe doing that. Why they didn't try to play up the the very yeah. obvious thing that had just happened in a James Bond film a few years before with Here Eyes Only, where we get that. That pre-credit sequence that starts with Bond placing flowers on his dead yeah. wife's grave. It's Something, because like, otherwise it's kind of just dropped in casually in conversation in a way that you could you could miss. Yeah. <laughs> so our main character, played by Lewis Collins, is, is motivated. That what they're trying to set up is that he's motivated yeah. by more than just money. He's he's yeah. got you know there, this is there's, there's a personal feeling behind but his design. We only really this. we only really get that quite late on in the film, I think. It, it's Where, it, it, it's something that should have been foregrounded a yeah, little sooner. Yeah, I I kind of missed it a bit. 
uh, if I'm honest. But also one thing I just wanted to pick up on the um, the set dressing in Wesley's um, headquarters for his group of mercenaries mm-hmm. that we spend the opening once we get past the the little training session we're we're in the canteen area and there's just loads of magazines from loads of pinups from porn mags all over the walls <laughs> oh, <laughs> like yeah. oh we're definitely in the 80s here it's just all these men it reminded me of back in the 80s if you just walked into any kind of work environment where it was pretty much all just men there would be those kind of pictures stuck on the wall like you could go and take your car to a garage to get um get an yeah. oil change and they just i remember that from my childhood naked yeah. women all over the walls and stuff and it, it's it was just so normalized that you didn't even think about it and obviously i don't know about in america but in this country we had newspapers that had topless women on page three every day yeah and that was and these were the newspapers that your parents would read at home um yeah they were so, actual no joke newspapers yeah yeah so it was just sort of pretty normal. But now when you look at it, you think, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, nobody would have given it a second thought. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay, so Wesley, this, the, Lewis char- the, the, um, the Lewis Collins character, yeah. uh, they, they take the job to uh, – they're, they're, it's a mercenary team. They, they, they take the job to go and destroy this, uh, this horde of opium – where it's being produced, where it's being, you know, manufactured into and packaged to, to be sent off to corrupt the youth of America, which is just something we cannot have. And so the team, the team enters the Golden Triangle by boat. Uh, after they, of course, get their hands, uh, their hands on uh, their helicopter pilot. Oh, and uh, and, not, and also after they've had a car chase through a tunnel. Oh, I forgot the car chase. Okay, yes. Now, <laughs> well, it's, e- it's easy to forget because it's completely pointless. It's it, yes. I, okay. <laughs> and now I'm even it's, forgetting it's exactly very well done. Co- yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I do love it. It's, and I laughed all the way through. Though. It's incredibly entertaining. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm the, the, the right slash wrong audience for this kind of thing because... I have so much love for uh, miniature work, even when it's obvious miniature work, like yeah. uh, stuff in you know, like the Jerry Anderson Super Super Marionation stuff. Uh, I, I I get a lot of joy out of that, regardless of kn- you know knowing that it is obviously you know miniatures of one size or another. I just yeah. really get a kick out of it, and I love the fact that this is how Mark. There are shots in some of Margarita's films that you know, seeing them on VHS copies for years, I just thought. Was, was something he shot on a location, and it turns out once you can see it in, yeah. in HD, you're like, "Oh, holy crap, a moly! That's a miniature. How did this yeah. ever fly on 35 millimeter on a large screen?" But it's, it's just like that's the way it was at the time. For for what is supposedly a kind of straightforward jungle military adventure, this car chase seems to have been accidentally left in the script because they were typing it in the same room as somebody was writing a James Bond film and it somehow just some pages ended up in the wrong script because this whole thing it that yeah. chase would not look out of place if Roger if we, you know if we cut it to the Roger Moore. we cut into the car and it's Roger Moore driving you'd, and there'd be a funny kind of 
noise yeah, on the exactly. soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to mention. Is that <laughs> that car that weird car flip in uh, in uh, Man with the Golden Gun? Yeah. Where you're just like, why did they? What, why in God's this, name did they put this? Is a, a this comedy car chase? What's sound, it doing? Yeah. In, yeah. What's it doing in this movie? It's so <laughs> odd. It's but, it's you know, insane. It's cool. It is cool. Don't get me wrong, but wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And, they, and what I love is that they, I think they might have been able to get away with my my suspension of disbelief remaining pretty much intact if they'd only been if they'd only driven up on the curve that curved you know that yeah. curved side of the wall there for just like long enough seconds. to get around that barrier. Yeah. But the fact that it hangs up there for longer yeah. than the humanly imaginable, it's just like oh, okay, wait, what are we doing here? Hold on. Yeah, he's got like an anti gravity car. <laughs> It's like it's like are we watching Men in Black here, where at but, least they're pretending yeah. that it's some kind of technology. That's this is it. This like happen. if it was a Bond car, we would have seen him flip a switch just before yeah. it went into that turn. But in this film, it makes no sense at all. It's like live action speed buggy for God's sake. It's, yeah, it's what really are we doing funny. Here? Anyway, but, it's it's yeah. entertaining. I mean, there's God. no way around it. We 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 love Margariti for it. Oh yeah, but, just. Just the clanking gonads on this man to, to, to think, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to do that. It. We are definitely going to do that. To watch the final cut of the movie and not think, hmm, maybe we should trim that a bit. No, no, I think nope. they looked at the final cut and went, maybe we need another shot of that. Yeah, <laughs> we got any more. Let's put some more of it in there. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, yes. so they get to the Golden Triangle, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, you know, Somewhere in the in in the the uh, I'm assuming Thailand. It's just wherever this stuff, yeah. you know, whatever. I, the, at least they didn't create some fictional <laughs> fictional country to you know you know o- o- opium stand or uh, opium <laughs> stand or or you know I don't know. They didn't do that. Uh, that would not be above the <laughs> that would not yeah. be above the mentality of the '80s action films, to be honest. But um, <laughs> good lord. But they um, they have the their people who are waiting back in Hong Kong, which would be the Ernest Borgnine character and the Klaus Kinski character, waiting to see what's going on. And then they travel a distance downriver. Our team disembarks for a march through the jungle, where they meet up with uh, a local group of guerrilla fighters who is waiting for them and ready to, and ready to join them on this uh, this attack on the uh, the opium constructing base. Yeah, because it's because it's like some local warlord, isn't it? Basically, yeah. who's ruining who's their this. lives and running the whole state. So they they're fighting back against him. So they're happy to uh, to help these guys. So Kim and his men guide Wesley's team through the jungle to a remote base located in a quarry, because quarries are cheap. One of the king terrible <laughs> place, terrible place to put a base, though, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because anyone who wants to shoot at you can just sneak up and shoot down over the top. It's really easy. Yep. Well, one of Kim's <laughs> men and uh, one of uh, Wesley's men each eliminate a sentry in a watchtower because they 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 kind of uh, they kind of zip line in and and take these guys yeah. out. But uh, Klein, the uh, the uh, the member of our mercenary team, uh, he he, ta- he takes out his two men even though he gets kind of a piece of bamboo shoved through his arm. Yeah, yeah, uh, in, in the which fall. is a good effect. It's a good effect. Yeah, yeah, and so they 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 ha- they leave him behind. They were going to have to leave somebody behind anyway, but you know that means he gets he gets elected because he's injured. 
uh, because they they know they're going to have to have someone there making the people at this particular station, an, you know, answer uh, radioed questions yeah. in the way that is going to help them pull off their job. And they just conveniently have a helicopter that they can now fly off in. Yeah, because there's a helicopter station there. So yeah, good. So uh, the team then descend into the uh, uh, steep incline into the quarry. And uh, this is where, you know, th- th- let's, let's understand, understand people. The fact that we're getting this across to you in, in this haphazard fashion on this podcast is only because we've worked really hard to dissect <laughs> what is being told to us in the film in only the most oblique ways that they can get away with it. Because yeah. it, it does all start to fall into place at a certain point in time because really there are no other options as to what in the hell is going on. But... <laughs> It's um, it's difficult at times, and the thing is, sometimes the movie's distracting you with other stuff so that you're not thinking about the fact that you don't exactly understand why they're going where they're going and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and and these distractions are, are pretty interesting. I mean, you know, if you're going to drop Mimsy Farmer into a, into a movie as a, as a distraction, eh, you know, good, good choice. But the strange things that happen as they make their way toward the eventual uh, place where we're going to wrap things up. Yeah. is various little you know set pieces and things along the way and so when stop me if there's some detail that you want to interject here but uh-huh. the most interesting the most interesting thing is when they get to the um, uh, the the piece that is pulled right out of wild geese which is where our our, our buddy uh, Alan Collins aka Luciano Picossi yes is uh, a, a a doctor slash is he a priest, priest. or a doctor? Yeah, he's, a, yeah. he's got his own church in where he's like looking after. It seems to be a church slash hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just read this before we go into details? From the, this is from the essay in the DVD. He, he says, um, "Code name is all is maddeningly flawed. Its plot of mercenaries and narcotics in the Golden Triangle is woefully constructed and communicated in an extremely unclear manner." The characters are one-dimensional and the dialogue is often awkward and incoherent. That's yes. totally true. In many scenes, the starring cast are left wearing baffled expressions as they struggle with their bewildering scripts. <laughs> <laughs> their, their efforts further hampered by the leaden post-synchronized soundtrack. I mean, he is right, isn't he? I, they, I, can't, I can't argue with a sta- the, single statement made there yet. There's dialogue that you just like, what? <laughs> what? What did they just say? What does that mean? What are they talking about? How does that about? relate to what was just happening? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but this is written by somebody who likes the movie. Um, yeah. You know, but it's it, but it is true. There's so much, and obviously they they had a script, but they had actors speaking different languages. It was all dubbed and probably slightly rescripted a little bit at the same time. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and. But it is, it's a confusing film. The script is confusing. The, although the action is quite straightforward. There, yeah, it's a film that's quite slippery to, to keep hold of. And the thing is, the, one of the things that kind of saves it from being a disaster is that when, you know, when the action cranks into gear, it's at least entertaining as it can be. Oh, yeah, it's good and, action. Yeah, and so the action is a blast. The, uh, the, the you know they've thrown enough recognizable actors on screen with you know uh, uh, enough talent to actually keep you intrigued enough to see just where things are going to go, 
And Lee Van Cleef seems to, I don't know how he felt at the time, but he seems to be having a blast. Um, uh, and Klaus Kinski, of course, you know, chewing scenery any chance they give him. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the, so the joys of this are, are multitudinous, but they're yeah. not necessarily the kinds of things that cohere into something that you would consider a coherent thing that moves forward in, in less than a herky-jerky fashion. Yeah. It's still really kind of fun, even when you're staring at it and going, what the hell are we dealing? Okay, okay, yeah. wait, what? Well, okay, because then something comes along and distracts you, like I say. Yeah, but, but I, like, even, like, even finding, like finding Mimsy Farmer in a cage. Right. But, I mean, even strange things like something that it seems, it, it's one of those perfect visual things to throw in to kind of give you the disconnect between the people back in Hong Kong and the... Uh, the uh, the actual mercenaries who are carrying out the actions down in the you know the muck and the and and the, and the the dirt and the uh, we have that that we have scenes where um, we have our DEA man and Klaus Kinski's character who are talking in this opulent corner office in this high rise in Hong Kong looking out over the city which yeah. you know gives you that that sense of disconnect and then also we have the scene on the golf course where they're you know they're out there. T- uh, talking about uh, you know talking about things while they're playing around the golf and uh, it, no, no matter what uh, Fletcher the Ernest Borgnine character keeps he, he keeps saying oh we should we should go down there and meet them and try to you know in case they need any help or anything like this and he keeps getting pushed off and there's that part of me that's like so well at least the DEA, char- DEA character is you know acting like he wants to be a participant in this mess but yeah. the rest of them are just like no you know I wanted to get in another nine holes you know? <laughs> I'm really more interested in in seeing about seeing how the that new bartender is working out back at the club and I, I, like I say there are you know, there's smart clever things in here these this is not a film made by people who are unconcerned about putting this uh, onto screen in a way that will keep you involved but it's still one of those things where yeah I'm you you say they had a script I think they had an idea and an outline. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. And I think that they may have, you know, constructed certain, uh, certain of the action set pieces may have been constructed and changed as they shot just to make them work for wherever they were, you know, whatever location they were dealing with. But once again, I can't complain because that's the way movies are made in general. I mean, you're going to change things if you find a better way to do it while you're in production. And that's, just more so in these kinds of films. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So he's. Uh, so they after they they fly away in the helicopter that they steal to mm-hmm. go to another place. I was getting a bit lost as to how many different places they had to go to. I thought because at the beginning when they just go down, they knock out these guards and they steal their helicopter. I thought, is that it? <laughs> like the mission is over and we're like. 20 minutes into the film oh yeah yeah <laughs> but but no it turns out they've got to go to other places and shoot other people and steal other stuff and and that's when wesley so they go to another base and wesley he finds um a hard drive a hard no not a, it's like a floppy disk isn't it i'm sorry I'm getting yeah out, yeah yeah i'm it's, getting it's, it's an old outdated terminology 80s. wrong yeah, it's yeah, like it's, a big it, five inch five inch floppy disk Mm-hmm. And he puts it into the computer because he wants to. F- I mean, he's looking for names, like who's behind this uh, evil trade. Who else do I need to kill? So he ignores all the money that's in the safe and just takes this disc. And he's got his evidence now as to who who is behind it, which will um, which will pay off later. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, 
there's the there's the huge and incredibly entertaining assault on the the uh, the opium production facility there in that quarry, mm. and uh, uh, luckily there is a you know, they, they I think they only lose one helicopter during the course of the story, but there's another helicopter here which they're obviously going to steal. But here's the thing: as soon as you see that helicopter, there's something that that that, that pinged in my head immediately, which is. There's not, they can't fit everybody into that small helicopter. So well, there's going to be a did. lot of people. Yeah, everybody who was left. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. But, yeah, <laughs> but at the time they it. find the helicopter, it's just like, <laughs> eh, not everybody's going to be getting out of here on that helicopter, man. Yeah, I'm telling you now. There's a lot of people to squeeze into one little helicopter. Some and people so are going to have to be left behind. If you so know this is like the main base where this evil general lives but we don't i don't think we actually meet the general do we or the yeah yeah we get several we get several scenes with him uh oh no yes we just lording it up and talking about how much of a badass and how wonderful he he lives in a like in a palace somewhere doesn't Mm -hmm. he oh yeah i remember him now um i have the sneaking suspicion that that whatever that location was was either somewhere on the outer fringes of hong kong where where they could get you know, yeah. get some place that I, yeah, that's what I suspect. It looked that, like it that, was like some sort of public building or a palace or something that yeah, yeah. they had access to the front of for a half a day or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we got a few but, hours. Let's go, go, yeah. go, 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 go. So they they liberate this um, cage full of people, and in the corner they find Mimsy Farmer, who's a Canadian journalist who came to um, interview the general, but instead got kidnapped. And then pumped full of heroin. So she's now a heroin addict or an opium. Is it just opium? I think it might just be opium. Yeah, I think it has to be just opium. It's just and, opium, you know. isn't it? So she she's looking worse for wear. And, you know, she's obviously been here for, for too long. And she has kind of channeled, you know, what what energy she has and what desire she has to, to live here to actually helping the, the priest character out, taking care of the, the natives who, you know, various illnesses and, and wounds from... The, the pure hell that's going on in this area where everything is geared toward just producing opium. and um, Yeah, because I think basically everybody has to help because if they don't, then they just get killed. So. Exactly. So the, once, the, once the action starts, uh, when they start blowing everything all to hell, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a joy. There's like, we, we don't have any attempt at uh, pretending that there's some kind of demolition expert who's very carefully laying out you know, lines of plastic or <laughs> positioning, you know, the C4 that they have in ways that is, that is going to be most beneficial to actually bringing some of these buildings down. Uh, we're just tossing grenades and chunks of C4 around and just yeah. blowing everything all to hell. And, and then getting out the flamethrower. Yes. And then beautifully, <laughs> everybody, it, honestly, seeing the last 20 minutes of this movie, if you see nothing else, because a, what I don't understand, so they find this helicopter that they're going to use, and they right. kind of they weaponize it yeah. in true. Um, but it's it's like the A team. They find a helicopter in a in a shed, and then they they also find some other stuff, and they strap it all to the helicopter to turn it into this fighter, uh, big you know helicopter, which is just like what they were doing the A team. Um, but what I didn't understand was they they get into the helicopter and they're starting the propeller and I kept thinking, but there's a roof. I know I kept waiting for them to, for the shot like, of them you know re- pulling the roof back. Which yeah, you know. and how are they supposed to get? Out? <laughs> there seemed to be no plan for how to get out. There's an army outside trying to get in. They're starting up the helicopter, but, I think, but, but how are they going to 
what are they going to do? I was expecting a shot where we look up to discover there's no roof or something. But no, it's just a big shed and they're stuck inside in a helicopter. So, But then fortunately for them, the door gets blown off just in time for them to fly out. But I kept thinking, it's not that good an escape plan. <laughs> If your idea was um, to fire this thing up and then hope somebody blows a hole in the door. Yeah, like helicopters, you know, the very slightest little thing is all it takes for it to go horribly wrong. You know, I've read enough horror stories about helicopters, particularly helicopters in films, to know that I never want to go in a helicopter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they have this, <laughs> they seem to have a very um, lackadaisical approach to helicopter safety in this film. Well, nevertheless, once we turn this this uh, three-person at max little <laughs> helicopter into a destructive war machine, yeah, oh, man, it, it immediately takes off, transforms itself into a miniature, and starts blowing the crap out of every little miniature thing in sight. Yeah, and I think I read, I think this might have been in the booklet again, that I think they used some of the footage from this in the big finale of The Commander. That's what um, I've read, yes. Yeah, which I vaguely remember the, the commander having some really good blowing up stuff at the end. And so and now I know why. <laughs> they just See, I've seen this. the commander and I've seen Tiger Joe. So I've seen the other two. It's been years since I've seen them. And so... No, uh, it's, I do, um, isn't, it, isn't it Commander Leopard? Isn't Com- Com- Commando Leopard and... Um, Oh, not Tiger Joe. You're right. Yeah, the commander. I think yeah. it's yeah, commander. I get them. I, he made six or seven of these things within yeah. within like five years, and so I have a and tendency all, to get them all mixed they around. All, they all look quite similar, but yeah, they it's, but the action is it's the same thing, man. Once the action cranks up, it's like yeah, you can tell they're being they're using miniatures here and there in places, but it's still the kind of thing where it's like you know it's undeniable. It gets the it gets the blood pumping. It really does. Yeah, and of course, and then uh, we get some payback. For I mean I don't know how much we can spoil of this really, but like this is then right at the end we get a scene back in Hong Kong where Wesley reveals that he knows the truth. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll leave out the, which of the we'll leave out yeah, which of the uh, mini uh, mini because, starring yeah, characters the, actually shows up on site to sure. try to stop them from destroying oh, yeah, the opium place. with a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's not Ernest Borgnine because he doesn't. <laughs> He never holds a gun in the whole movie. Well, that really kind of narrows <laughs> as it down, we as it? we've established. But um, but yeah, so Lewis Collins gets to have his uh, his revenge because he's worked out who was behind all this and who he can blame for the death of his son. Although I mean, it's obviously there must be more than one person who is pumping heroin into the uh, world. So I don't no, know if he the, the, if we, he we definitely. Definitely found the guy. That he found a guy. <laughs> found a guy, yeah. And where does he even live? Like, does Wesley live in Hong Kong as well? Where is his base of command of of kind of British and and German commandos? Who, he lives in the are, world, Adrian. He lives yeah, in the world. Where are they? I, I never really figured that out. But anyway, oh, I don't think I had to. You're asking the wrong questions of this film. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to ruin this for you. I don't want to point this out for you. But you are asking the incorrect questions about this picture, mm. man. <laughs> but it was. It was fun. I'm glad I saw it. And it's always nice to see uh, Luciano Pigozzi. And yeah. It's always nice to see miniature action. And and again, like with a lot of Margariti's '80s movies, 
uh, his children were on the set with him as well. Eduardo was mm-hmm. like second assistant director. Yeah, and... by this time, Eduardo was like full full bore yeah. involved in every production. In yeah, multiple and, ways. and Antonella yeah. Antonella was there as well. I think on uh, continuity or something like that. So, yeah, it's like a, I like to think of the, the their sort of little family unit traveling around the world, making all these films. Um, so yeah, it must have been quite fun because they did a lot together, and he did yeah. travel. I mean, Margariti really did get around the world. This wasn't even his first time in Hong Kong. He'd made a film in Hong Kong um, about ten years earlier. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, the, here's the thing. One, one more thing. Something I meant to bring up at the beginning of this, but one of those, I have to admit, I didn't think that much of it until I started really paying attention to the film. What did you think of the score? Oh, now you're asking. I think I thought it was good, although I'm trying now to listen in my head to see if I can remember what it sounded like. Are you going well, to put? Are you going to put the weird some in? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely putting some in because the weird thing is it's it's by a a British band. Oh yes, Eloy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a it was a progressive German rock band um, that at that point had been around for like 15 years nearly. Hang on, you, did you say they're German or British? Because you said British first. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, not British, German. They're they German. are German. Okay. If, if I yes. said British, that was a mistake. But yes, okay. the the the, uh, the the it was named Eloy, which is you know t- taken from uh, the Time Machine, the the H.G. Wells novel, The Time Machine, the uh, Eloy. Okay. Uh, and the the uh, it's it's kind of incredible. They they did all kinds of music for for different things, and this was. Only one of the movies that they did um, some uh, music for at the time, uh, and I get this is uh, this is strange. But they, and you listen if you listen to the music just as music, you can point out. And of course, it has you know at year in past years it did of course have it was released as a full a full album. But there are not only and this had escaped me until I paid attention. There are, uh, you know, long stretches there of, uh, of kind of, you know, synth, synth rock stuff, which is bas- the basic score. But there are also some songs stuck in there. And it's possible, oh, at least it was possible for me, to not realize that there were some songs in there. You know, songs with titles like Queen of Rock and Roll and stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just When I go and listen to the music on its own, it's just like, wow, it just sounds like... Uh, just sounds like an album by these guys and it's right. really composed to be a part of this movie and you know some of it is you know okay plays like a score but it's it's really strange i think didn't uh, yamaha instruments get a credit i think i'm sure oh, i, I read that I in their closing I credits i think yeah i don't remember yeah but yeah yeah, but yeah it's, it's it, very uh, it's very suitable 80s um score
interesting, again, because I guess the producer was German. And Margariti did quite a few German co-productions, which is probably why, which is why so many of his films from this period have German actors mm-hmm. and would explain why it's a German band as well. Um, and that's why, I mean, so again, coming back to uh, Treasure Island and Out of Space, that was German as well. He seemed to have quite a good relationship with German producers. Well, I think that is probably how they ended up with this this German band, yeah, um, which may or may not still be together. I mean, their most recent release was in like 2019. Oh wow, really? Okay. Yeah, it's they did this two part this two part uh, album called The Vision, The Sword, and The Pyre. Part one was released in 2017, and part two in 2019, and it's one of those things where you're just like. I kind of want to hear it, but I probably need a stiff drink before I try it. I'm not positive. Oh. Uh, the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 there are all these weird little areas of music that you know you are kind of hidden off to one side or the other, and then once the once the door gets cracked open, you have to wonder if you know it's it's an individual decision. Do I open that door wide or do I slam it and bolt it? You know, it's just a question of how, how your tastes generally line up, and. Um, I got to admit, I've got a little bit of curiosity about Eloy now, just to to see what they sound like in the 21st century, because I'm a strange person. Yeah, well, I'm just seeing they're on Spotify, so I'll um, I'll check them out. Well, uh, I'm, I am going to slap uh, their uh, their song for their song "Queens of Rock and Roll" from the soundtrack for Codename Wild Geese. I will be slapping that on the end of this episode, so everyone, you get a sample in there. So Excellent. hang on. Now, how many, this is a kind of a larger, broader question, how many of Antonio Margariti's, uh, you know, mercenary slash Vietnam slash First Blood ripoff films have you seen? Have you seen them all or have you only seen a couple? No, no, I mean, not enough. Um, I've seen, um, is it called Indio? Okay, yeah. I like that one. That was the 1989 film? Yeah, that's a kind of, that feels very much like a... um, Rambo type movie as well. Um, yeah. yeah, that was a good one. Uh, I mean, there's still loads. I know. I. I mean, I started the Margariti blog and then slowed down on it in the last couple of years. But those, the the war films, are the ones I've probably seen the least of. So yeah, I do need to um, to catch up on more of those. But I did do the. I saw the Commander. I wrote mm. about that a couple of years ago. I liked that one. But yeah, I'm I'm well behind. <laughs> as in you know all these things I haven't seen it I haven't well, I, watched enough of them I can recommend uh, The Last Hunter which mm. I think is a pretty darn good movie okay. but I mean if as I can I can get some joy out of all of these these you know jungle mercenary films that he made in that period of time whether they're you know Vietnam set films or, or whatever they may or may not be just I can get some joy out of them but I do have to admit that it's the movies he made in between those that all, that really call my name the loudest the yeah. obvious one being you're the hunter from the future but I also sure. really enjoy you know hunters of the golden cobra and Ark of the sun god but you know I'm not against jungle raiders or commando leopard but at the same time there there's a uh, there's a uh, uh, a kind of same samey nature to them, which is not necessarily a bad thing, considering that's what yeah. they were trying to do. Sure. 
But you get something like, uh, you know, Hunters of the Golden Cobra, Ark of the Sun God, and it's like, you don't know where this thing's going to zigzag. <laughs> you yeah. just, you, you have no clue. It had also recently done Cannibal Apocalypse, of course, which was yeah. <laughs> very different from, uh, although it does have a war film uh Element. Yeah, there's some Vietnam, you know, there's some flashback <laughs> stuff to Vietnam, yeah. which is like, uh, it, it, as a part of that, the, the plot of that film as well, which is, uh, you know, probably the first, first position, you know, fir- first part of his career where he's actually playing around with that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the very next film is The Last Hunter, where it just comes into full fruition. Now, here's another question. Between The Last Hunter and uh, Tiger Joe... Uh, is the film uh, Car Crash from 81. Uh, yeah, no, I still haven't seen that either, but I really me want to. Me either. I've not yeah. seen it yet either. And I th- I got to admit, it's what kept, what's kept me away from it is Joy Travolta. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's like, do I want to intentionally watch a movie that stars Joy Travolta? That seems that seems crazy. Why would, yeah. I, why would anybody do that? Yeah. But I do want to see it because yeah. do you bet that there is a, like the vast majority of the car <laughs> crashes in car crash would be really messed up miniatures. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm guessing the whole film is all puppets. <laughs> Joy Travolta certainly would work as a puppet. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, look, I can see the strings. Oh my goodness. He's a marionette. How did we get to this part of the film? Holy crap. But yeah, I just wondered because I still yeah, not, there yeah, are still a number of, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I have apparently seen more than you, but there's still a number of Margariti films that I've yeah. not seen. And car crash is one of the, uh, I won't call it a like a gap or a blind spot, but it is one that I I've had my eye on for a long period of time. And it's like, don't get me wrong, it's like not every visit to the Antonio Margheriti well is a is a satisfying draft of cold clear water. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Hercules against Karate is actually like having someone stab you know spikes <laughs> through your feet, but. <laughs> For for every one of those, you do get something that I can find a lot of joy in. Like, you yeah, know, not not everybody can enjoy killer fish, but I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, everything can be as uh, entertaining as you were the hunter from the future, or uh, and God said to Cain, or the unnaturals, or you know, seven deaths in a cat's eye. But at the same time, that's part of the joy of going through some of these things. I think the most recent non. I guess non-podcastable is, I guess, the best way to put those. Non-podcastable Margariti film that I finally sat down and watched was a t- an absolutely terrible copy of uh, this very late in the cycle kind of spaghetti western, uh, Whiskey and Ghosts. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, that, so I tried to find a copy of that one, and it seemed to be... Like almost like a lost movie, but how oh no, you... you can find it. You know how I found it? Is it popped up on uh, a, a cable movie station over here? Just right. you know, I just had my DVR grab it and watched it then, and it took it took me two tries to get all the way okay. through. It's yeah. pretty bad because it is, of course, that worst of all possible worlds, a comedy. Mm. And oh man, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, this snake oil salesman character. Um, who's obviously patterned on Trinity, you know, is yeah. chased around chased around the old the old West by uh, Mexican bandits, and he's he's kind of stewarded through his adventures by uh, the ghosts of Davy Crockett, 
Davy Crockett, Pecos Bill, and Johnny Appleseed. And it's just as irritating as you can imagine it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. If you want to get to it, I understand your curiosity. Just yeah. prepare yourself. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. But yeah, thanks for um, inviting me to talk about a Margariti film again. It was. It made me watch one that I haven't watched before, so it's that's always good. So I think that's well, I think that that's kind of the way it. we'll go. Is yeah. we'll, we'll do this about once <laughs> once every six months or once a year sure. at most. <laughs> it seems to be all we can do now that we're doing the Wild Wild Podcast. Yeah, sorry um, about that. Oh no, not at all. I mean, God, are we having fun with Wild Wild Podcast, or are we? I mean, holy or crap, that is that is a real joy. If we're going to spend our time doing that uh, and only squeeze in a Margariti film every now and then. At, what the heck? Let's do it. Sure. But the uh, the uh, the joy of doing one of these occasionally is trying to kind of watch one that neither one of us has seen before or has not paid that much attention right. to. And well, that, was, it, that was the case with this one. So. It sounds like Car Crash has to be our next one then. I'm kind of thinking it probably ought to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, uh, once again, it's that area of the 80s where Margariti's films were, uh, you know, there was there were some that, you know, that did pretty darn well, even if we're over here in the States, like even if it was only on VHS, because I remember Ark of the Sun God being something that was in like every video store in the world. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, you're the hunter for the future, of course, even got a theatrical release over here, which and in this day and age kind of, bo- this day and age kind of boggles the mind. Yeah. But the, um, yeah, I think car crash might be the next one that we sure. point our, uh, okay. Our lasered focus at when we finally get around to it sometime in uh, 2023. God save us. <laughs> um, before we go, I just wanted to mention uh, I enjoyed your Boogie Nights episode. Oh, thank your, you. Your interview with Veronica Hart. It was really interesting. Well, I just, I've got to say that uh, as much fun as that was, that was the brainchild of John Hudson. He's the one I could who has. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he it was his idea. Uh, I didn't. I, I I immediately said yes, and that was uh, that was even before I knew that we were going to be able to talk to uh, to Miss Hart, who was a, <laughs> truly got a zillion stories to tell and is really fun to really fun to talk to. I mean, I trimmed out a good uh, fifteen or so, fifteen or even twenty minutes of our conversation just oh, because. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, just because it was we we just had a blast speaking yeah. to her. No, it sounds like. Um John Hudson is a, a secret um, golden age of American adult cinema historian. Who, I, which you know, he's not really let that slip that all that much before. So that was really interesting to yeah. Hear well, a if you knew him side. personally, if well, you knew him personally, sure. it would not be a secret. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah let's draw a, draw a veil over that one. Yes, um, but an in- interesting piece of uh, convergence because I was just listening to another podcast yesterday yes i do i have to apologize i do listen to other podcasts sometimes only only between episodes of the bloody pit but um (laughs) somebody so i listened to another podcast and they were also talking about veronica hart um so it was i don't know if you if you're familiar with cult picks which is a streaming site for cult movies okay and they also have a podcast now called cult picks radio um so they were talking about her because they've just had a uh, oh, what's his name Harry Reams uh, theme. They've had like a Harry th- Harry Reams season on cult okay. picks. So they were obviously then talking about uh, American adult films, and so Veronica Hart came up. Plus other 
some of the other names that you guys talked about in your podcast because um, on cult picks you can find a bunch of those films they've got the vinegar syndrome uh restorations available streaming ah. and, and that sort of stuff um so yeah so anyway it just seemed interesting that you're all talking about this stuff at the same time which is a bit weird but there you go well, I am curious. The, the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray of uh, the, the, the Veronica Hart uh, film Pandora's Mirror uh, has just come out, and she she did a uh, commentary track for that film. Oh, well, that'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things where she's got she's on there with uh, someone who's 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 uh, moderating uh, her, her commentary track, which means it's you know it's someone who who's uh, gonna, gonna gonna guide her towards certain subjects uh, about right. the film, but. Pandora's Mirror is apparently it's, it's the one even before I knew about the extras on that Blu-ray that I was thinking okay well that's going to be one of her uh, her adult films that I definitely want to check out because it certainly sounds very interesting I mean it seems like they should be having John Hudson moderating those commentary tracks with her <laughs> well you know you, you could be right but at the same time they, they usually default to people like you who've written books and written um, articles and written essays and things like that because at least they have evidence that you know what yeah. the hell you're talking about <laughs> they could john could just send them some uh, photos of his porn den at home that's, <laughs> I, that's I, all I the qualification he needs <laughs> yeah him posed in front of it with his wife on the other side yeah. like she's presenting it at a game show here look <laughs> <laughs> just looking disapprovingly in his direction <laughs> not, not so much so. I've got to say that his wife Laura is 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 beyond and even ridiculously understanding about his <laughs> his obsessions and his likes. I'm uh, no, all credit cool. all credit to John for getting very very lucky in the wife category. No, that's very cool. But nevertheless, Adrian, once again, thank you very much for coming on and talking about an Antonio Margheriti film that we can draw more attention to. Uh, Dankeschön. Uh, huh? Dankeschön. Ah, German. You, you confused me. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> if, if I hear Italian, I get confused. And I hear German, I get confused. Yeah, it's all the right. same to me. But the uh, the joys of this kind of thing are are, are multifaceted, manifold, and we have yeah. to uh, we have to uh, always remember that uh, the next season of Wild Wild Podcast is coming up. It's going to be a mini season. We're mm-hmm. going to focus on uh, Luigi Cozzi. Yeah. And cover a few of his films, and uh, the good news is, apparently, we're even going to get to talk to the man himself. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I mean, how would you? Got to say, uh, what would you give to have been able to sit down with a tape recorder and speak to Antonio Margheriti before his, oh, before his passing? I wish, I wish, I, I wish I'd known. Like, yeah, I, I, I only really started discovering his films when it was too late. But yeah, that would have been amazing. Luckily, some people did. There are some good interviews with him in English, and even there. a good documentary. Thank goodness. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it would have been. It would have been nice. All right, I mean, I'm Adrian. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was no, going to say it's I, a real. I interrupted you. Sorry. It's a real shame that nobody got him to do any commentary tracks for his films. Yes, I agree. That, that was a thing you know he lived long enough for that to be something that people were doing but and it just never happened sadly never happened. sadly no. it did not yeah no well nevertheless missed opportunities that's another good reason to push to actually get uh, a, a, a good interview with uh, with the Lewis Coates for yes. for the podcast yeah. getting even more on record about his film career sure exactly once again Adrian thank you very much for uh, being here, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you. Bye.
Bye.